we have been uh, doing a, a series on uh, authority and dominion. And we have been looking at the word uh, kingdom in the, new, in the King James, King James, New King James. And the word in, uh, in the Wade translation, that, that uh, New Testament that I was talking about, the word uh, kingdom is translated dominion. And I got to looking. I went to the Strong's Concordance and began looking in there. And I thought, how in the world did I ever miss that one? But uh, it's, that's, they're both the same word. But the word dominion seems to have uh, a much more of a strong kick to it than, than uh, authority. So, uh, you know, that word, can, that, that word dominion can be uh, quite stirring. However, we don't want just another, another trophy to put on the fireplace to collect dust. We want something that we can use. Something that will help us, help others. So this morning I want us to look at uh, what, what's, what's to be done with dominion or authority. Is it just something that, that we have? You know, if you go through, the, uh, through that list of words... For, for dominion, King, for King James, the King James is kingdom. The Wade translation is, is, is dominion. If you go through there and look at that, there's, there's one scripture, I don't remember now just exactly which one, but it talks about uh, being faithful stewards. He told, he told the Jews he was going to take that away from them because they weren't using it. And he was going to give it to a people that would use it and produce fruit. So what, what's to be done with this word dominion? Let's, let's go back to Genesis now, where it all began. And... Uh, I, I was listening Wednesday night. Lydia was talking about a uh, a song that David Ingalls wrote back in the '80s, I think. And um, it go, goes along, and, and it says, "His word is my authority." Mark eleven twenty three. In Mark eleven twenty four, His word is my authority. Now think about that, because that is so profound. It is true. What He has said in His word now becomes my authority. I can act on it, and He's right there with me. Genesis chapter 1, verse 26, 
We're, this is the uh, first chapter of the Bible, and we see creation. Let me say something here. I, I was looking at something the other day on uh, YouTube, and I've noticed a, a, uh, um, an increase in things having to do with UFOs, and this one guy is talking about uh, how things started. And he talks about fi five different places in the earth where it all started simultaneously. And that's how this and that. And, I, you know, I listened to this BS for a while, and I thought, he never brings up God, never brings up Jesus. And it's, it's, it's another way around creationism. <coughs> you know, even if there are other people in the plant, out in the universe, yeah. there's one that died for me and rose again. And he is the one that I will stand before on the day of judgment. Not an alien. The Lord Jesus Christ and the Father. I will stand before them and give an account. Amen. So don't ever let this stuff distract you. Amen. Don't, don't get sidetracked with the lies of the devil. Amen. Then, then God said, not a gray, not one of the grays, God, Jehovah, then God said, let us make man in our image, not an image of a monkey or the missing link. Let us make man in our image according to our likeness. Let them have dominion. Now think of whose mouth that came out of. Now, to the, to the degree that you get a hold of this will be the degree of dominion that you walk in. You can just get the bottom of your feet wet and, you know, oh, glory to God. Or you can get in deeper and deeper. Let them have dominion. And then he goes on and he, he talks about this and that. And then he says... Over all the earth. Now, this is one thing that I didn't know for a long time. When he says over all the earth, there are laws that govern, that are in the earth that govern. Now, if you go down through Genesis 1, over and over, God saw, you know, he looked at what he had just created and God saw that it was good. Good, 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 good. Nine times. Then he comes to man and saw that it was very good. Good. 
Not mediocre, not bad, good. And he says, let man have dominion over, and he, he lists all these different things. And, it, and he said, let them have dominion over the earth. You know, when uh, Adam fell, corruption came in. Sin and death took up their place in creation. Now listen to me real close. When Adam sinned, evil came in. The, the laws that governed the earth were corrupted. When God created everything, He did not create the weather system to produce uh, damaging hail, tornadoes, hurricanes. You know, uh, let's see, what is it? When the, when the plates slip, what is that called? No, no, I, yeah, it's tectonic plates. When they slip, we get earthquakes, but the other one, the other one with, with tsunamis. That's because things, things are moving. God put things in place, and they weren't supposed to slip. These are all products of corruption because of sin. You, we don't have to put up with tornadoes. You know, I, I get so aggravated with newsmen that talk about, well, we're going to talk about Tornado Alley tonight. And I thought, who are you talking about? You're not talking about me. Not talking about where I live. That's a work of the devil. It brings death and destruction every time it comes on the scene. You know, if I, if I have a, a step up right here, and I put a chair up there and put another chair down here, this one carries the concept of superior, more, more authority. Uh, uh, let's see, Yungi Cho, pastor in Korea, they have, uh, I think he's got close to a half a, over, over a half a million people in his congregation. And they've got steps coming up to the platform. And if Pastor Cho is up here, you cannot get up that, those steps to him. That you, they will stop you unless you are invited. Father seated me right there. He seated me with Jesus in a place of authority at His right hand. Not on His left hand. That left hand is the place of judgment. The right hand is the place of power and authority. That's what, that's what Adam was created as in the beginning. Everything was given to Adam. 
He gave him authority or dominion over all the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. You know, people say, well, you know, God gave us authority over creeps. <laughs> I can agree with that, but I, that's not exactly what he's talking about. But you can certainly see the devil's hand there. Verse 28, then God blessed man and God said to him, notice the first thing out of his mouth. He breathed into Adam's nostrils the breath of life. He says, be fruitful and multiply. And, you know, I've never heard anybody say this uh, any other way than have babies. But if you go back and look, in, in chapter 2, it's very specific that God put man in the Garden of Eden and told him to tend it and keep it. He's talking about when he says here, uh, uh, multiply, be fruitful and multiply. He's talking about multiplying the garden to fill the earth. You know, there's not supposed to be a Sahara Desert. The garden is supposed to be there. But anyway, I get the, I get it. You know, you gotta, you gotta have have more people, so you're gonna have to multiply in that fashion to be able to take this garden and increase it to cover the earth. So. Notice it, in, it says <clears throat> to, he was put, Adam was put there to tend and keep it. Tend, it means to till the ground, to work the ground, you know, plant things. But the word to keep, it means to guard or to protect. So when, when God spoke to Adam to keep the, keep the garden, what's gonna, what is Adam going to do if, if uh, a hippo or an elephant comes, comes up to the garden and, and wants to have a snack. Now think about this, and I'm not being funny. What is he going to do with an elephant? He's not going to take him by the tail and throw him out of the garden. Well, how would God deal with that? Go over to Proverbs 18. How God said, let us make man in our image after our likeness. So how would God deal with that elephant? That hippo? Some of those animals that are bigger, bigger than you and, and difficult to handle in the natural? Proverbs 18, 21, it says, Death and life are in the power. And I'm so sorry that the King James and the New King James just stopped right there. There's, there's like five different significant words for power. Ability, force, authority, and I forgot the other two. I haven't written them down in this Bible, so my fault. But anyway, ability, ability is in the, in the power of the tongue. Force, authority, 
force. Force is in the, in the tongue, in the ability of the tongue. Think about those words. I mean, I like to, to go back and just read those over and over and just look at them. That's in my tongue. And he goes on and he says, and, and they, those that love it will eat its fruit if you use it right. God would deal with that with his words. You know, the other day uh, I, I was laying in bed before I, kind of in the middle of the night, I uh, got a pain that hit me in, in my body and I thought, it wasn't the first time it ever happened. And, uh, you know, I know that usually it'll go away after a little bit, after a little while of hurting me. And I thought, you know, one thing we need to do with, with the dominion that we have is to use it on our body. Yeah. And I spoke to that and I said, you know, I'm tired of you. Leave my body right now in the name of Jesus. I take dominion over you. And uh, pain didn't leave instantly. But I don't know, in four or five minutes it was gone. I'm growing. I'm learning to use my dominion, my authority. And you, the more you use it, the more you develop in it, the quicker you see results. But I was thinking, you know, I need to tell, tell our people that, you know, we want to use our dominion on everything but our own body. Anyway, moving right along. Let me, let me share something with you. I'm, I'm going to see if I can get this right. Lydia shared this with me one day. The confession, confessions of your mouth either give God dominion over you or you give Satan dominion over you. Is that the way it went? The confession of your lips will give either give God dominion over you. And you know, when God has dominion over you, He's only going to bring good to you. He's going to bring success. He's going to bring, bring blessing. But when you let that other clown get in, He brings just the opposite. Somebody says, you shouldn't talk about the devil like that. Why? He's under my feet. <laughs> so, the scriptures talk about, um, we're, we're going to kind of shift here and go in a little different direction. The scriptures talk about uh, fighting a good fight of faith. It talks about fighting uh, a fight, warring, you know, things like that. Okay, you all with me? Yes. You seen that in the Bible? Yes. Okay. That fight is a fight of words. That's good. That's good. Satan has been stripped of his authority. Now listen to me real close. God, Jesus stripped him of, of the authority that Adam gave up. 
Can we agree yes. on that? Yes. So the things that he does, he does illegally. Okay? What he does, he does illegally. Or he may do because you have authorized him to do those things with your words. You know, uh, there are certain ethnic groups that I have noticed that this more so uh, Jews, Arabs, people like that, they get frustrated and boy, I mean, it comes out of their mouth. They talk their frustrations. And uh, you got to put a padlock on your mouth. You cannot, as a believer, you cannot talk that and get away with it. You say, well, I can do whatever I want. Sure you can, but you'll pay for it. Your words will open the door for the enemy. Yes. Yep. Yes. Yep. Yes. Right. Something that we have seen over and over, uh, I'll give you one specific ans- uh, example, and you can, you can take it from there. Uh, this man was having an affair with another woman, and his wife found out about it, and uh, she died. She died of cancer. That opened, it hurt her so much, it opened the door, and the enemy got in. You know, when a woman is hurt like that, uh, things come out of her mouth. I mean, it was just, he might as well shot her because he killed her through, through that opening the door for that, that to come in. Now, did I make that clear? Did, I, did you understand what I said? We've, we've seen over and over sickness and, sickness and disease get in because of people have, have opened their mouth. Let's move on. So anyway, the scripture talks about fighting a good fight. Okay? Second uh, Corinthians chapter 10, verse 4. This is the NIV. I want you to, to catch this. The weapons we fight with are not weapons of the world. On the contrary, they have divine power to demolish strongholds. You know, the devil can keep coming to you so much, and if you don't start dealing with it, uh, a stronghold is a place, uh, it's a strong fortress. Mm -hmm. And his words continually coming at you build up an image. And he says here, the weapons that we have are strong. They have divine power to demolish those strongholds. The, uh, uh, let's see. How many of you ever seen the N-I small r-V? Yeah, I think it's, it's for youth. N-I-V for youth. 
We don't have that in the computer. It says, the weapons I fight with are not the weapons the world uses. In fact, it is, it is just the opposite. My weapons have the power of God to destroy the camps of the enemy. This is the New Living Translation. It says, we use God's mighty weapons. Yeah. We use. Yes. In other words, you've got to take it and do something with it. We use God's mighty weapons, not worldly, worldly weapons, to knock down the strongholds of human reasonings, and to destroy false arguments. You know, we, the Bible talks about we have weapons. Here's one of the weapons, the Word. Go with me over to Ephesians chapter 6. I just want to build an argument here. Um, Sometimes people take things and, and go to an extreme and not in a, in a good way. We want to we use, use the word right correctly. Amen. Ephesians chapter 6, verse, start, verse uh, 6. Ephesians 6, starting in verse 10. Finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord... Notice, be strong in the Lord, not in yourself. Strong in the Lord and in the, and in the power of His might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the wiles, the wiles of the devil. These things enable us when the enemy comes around to not fall for what he tries to spring on us and not to uh, give in. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this age, against spiritual hosts of wickedness in heavenly places. Therefore take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand. When, you, when he says take up, he's talking about putting on. That you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. And having done all to stand, stand therefore, having, your, having girded your waist with truth, having put on the breastplate of righteousness, and having shod your feet with the preparation of the gospel of peace. Above all, take the shield of faith with which you will be, be able to quench all the fiery darts of the wicked one. And take the helmet of salvation, which is the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. Now you notice right there at the end it says Word of God. That particular word, there's two words for word. One is logos and one is rhema. Rhema is the spoken word. We're not talking about going into a boxing ring and having a fight with the devil. 
This is a word battle. You know, first time I sat through one of the classes Brother Hagen had, and he said, you know, this is, this is a word, word fight. It's not a physical, natural fight. The enemy can't do anything to you. He's been stripped of his authority. So we're having a word fight here. Uh, when we were going to, going to school in Tulsa, I worked for the school system as a custodian. Started out uh, working in a furniture store, delivering furniture, and uh, that didn't go, go very long. I just, this woman wanted me to, on Saturdays I had to deliver uh, uh, this huge, huge china cabinet, and I'm, I'm expected to deliver it by myself. And not ding the thing up. So I thought, you know, this is not right. Somebody, somebody that worked, uh, they were a second year student, they got to telling me about working for the uh, school system as a custodian. They say it pays really good and it's a good job. And so I went and applied, got a job. And uh, I was working in this one, one particular school not too far from where we live. And uh, I, was, I was working with another student. He was a second year Raymond student, and I was starting in the first year. And uh, one day he came and got me, and he says, come with me quick. So he took me back to a uh, storage room, storage closet. And he says, now I want you to agree with me. And uh, I... Fortunately, I understood that. And so uh, we were, the, the school district was divided in, in two parts. One part uh, where we were was there were two supervisors, and the one that we had, John Brock, he was a 30-year man in the Army. And... Uh, you could look in his face and tell what kind of life he had, he had lived. Uh, so anyway, the guy at the first school where John would start, start the cycle, the, the uh, route, he would call us, we were the second school, and he was, he was our early warning system. He would say, John is on a tear today, watch out, Here, he's coming. So he got me, we went down, and he, he, said, he said, now follow me, agree with me. He didn't tell me anything, he just said, do it. So he, he started taking authority over that spirit that was on John, and he bound that thing. And uh, if you've never been around military people, uh, some of them can be real stinkers. Um, you know, they are, they are, a lot of them are, they are jaded. They have seen everything and done probably a lot of it. And uh, they pick up, they pick up spirits. I'm just telling it the way it is. You, you can say, what? Just follow me. I'm not saying he's demon possessed. 
although I wondered sometimes. <laughs> but uh, there's different levels of demonic activity. And uh, he, has, he was yielding to this thing. So this friend, friend of mine, he took authority over that. And when John came into the school, it was just a pleasant conversation, just real nice. And I think I missed it three times in two years that I didn't catch that he was coming. And when he came, whew, whoa. So we learned, take authority over that spirit before he gets here. See, that's the fight. Do you understand what I just got through saying? Yes. Not everybody is that, is, you know, there's a lot of people that are yielding to certain things that you don't have to put up with. You don't need to make a big deal, you know, stand up, I'll take authority over you. You know, just do what, like, like we did. We just, and I got to where, uh, you know, this guy graduated and went on back to, to California, and then it was up to me to deal with it by myself. And um, yeah. he got to like you. He got to like your cake. <laughs> <laughs> he did. Whenever I'd, she would make it, I'd take a piece to him, and oh boy, we're buds now, you know. <laughs> But, you know, there's no sense in me taking abuse from this guy, from the spirit that was on him. I don't have to do that. But notice, notice all of this right here is, is a, a verbal battleground. And we need to put on these, this armor so that we're not, re, not being moved or influenced by the words this, of this spirit coming at us. First Timothy chapter 6 and verse 12, he says, fight the good fight of faith. Amen. Notice it doesn't say brass knuckles and billy clubs. Fight the good fight of faith. And the only good fight of faith is the one that you win. That's right. Fight the good fight of faith Lay hold on eternal life to which you were also called and have confessed a good confession in the presence of many witnesses. <coughs> I, I find Christians all the time that are, uh, they're, 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 they're fighting the devil. I don't know if you've ever come across these people, but they're always in a fight. They're fighting the devil. But they never seem to be winning. They don't, they're not winning that fight. And the re, there's, no, there's no reason, listen, there's no reason to fight him. He's already defeated. He's already under our feet. Because Jesus won the fight and I'm in him, I have won the fight. I wish I had a, a hypocrite tree here. You know, you, you, you see the branches 
uh, on a real tree, you can take, you can cut into this and you can take another piece of some other tree and tie it into that and it becomes a partaker of the life that this tree is producing. It flows up through this and it'll eventually, it will cause leaves to grow, fruit maybe, because it is living off of the, the, the sap, if you will, the life that flows from the main trunk into this branch. And after a while, that branch is engrafted. I mean, it has taken hold of the other one, the main tree. Well, that's about as good of an example as I can come, come up with. I am that branch into that trunk. And I, you understand? So my life comes from that, that trunk. So what, what that, ma that vine, that uh, main branch, that, what do you call it? Trunk. Okay, trunk of a tree or, or like a uh, grapevine. Okay, the main trunk. The, the life that's flowing through that affects all of the branches. There's no reason for me to fight because the life comes from the main branch, main trunk. Go with me over to First John 4. First John 4, 4. You are of God, little children. You have come from, you, you're born of God. You're, 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 he is your life. He is the, the life giver. Amen. You are of God, little children, and have, yeah. have yeah. overcome them. Yeah. Doesn't say you're going to. That's right. It says you already have. Amen. Because he who is in you right. is greater Thank than he who's in the world. So, why would I need to fight the devil? He's already overcome him. Therefore, I've already overcome him. You say, well, you didn't do any such thing. Well, according to this, I did. What he has done has been added to my account. Now, I want you to... I should have given this to... I'm sorry, Lisa, I forgot to write this down. He says, uh, you are of God, little children, and have overcome. Let me give you a definition for this word overcome. It's in the Strong's Concordance, it's 3528. And the word is N-I-K-O-A. Nikoa? N-I-K-O-A. A O with a slash across the top of the O. Nikau. That's the Greek word. Everybody say Nikau. Aren't you see you learn something all the time? 
Now, here's what this word overcome is saying. To subdue, you have already subdued. You have conquered, overcome, prevail, get the victory. You've already got the victory. It means to conquer, to carry off the victory. Strap that thing on your shoulder and say, glory to God, look what I got. It means come off victorious. You know, there's, there's a lot of Christians that just don't have this mindset. I'm just curious, brother. Tell me, your wrestlers, when they go out on the floor, does their mindset have an effect whether they come out on top or not? When you go, go up toe-to-toe -to, -toe to the devil, you should go up with a smirk on your face. Amen. Knowing he's already whipped. That's right. Come off victorious. Glorious. Of Christ, now this is the way the Strong's report says this, of Christ, victorious over all his foes. Referring to Christ, victorious over all his foes. Well, if, if that refers to him, that refers to me because I'm in him. So if you really want to make the devil mad, go, up, go at him with a smirk on your face like you already know he's whipped. And that smirk is just so irritating. <laughs> John, 1 John 5, 4. For whatever is born of God overcomes the world. And this is the victory that overcomes the world. And the word overcome here is the same in 1 John 4, 4. And this is the victory that overcomes the world, our faith. Our faith. Our faith in the Word, our faith in Jesus, Well, then, now, you know, I, I said, you know, we don't need to fight the devil. That's right. What we need to do is rest in what the Word says is ours. Rest. How many of you ever come home from work and you've got this one special chair and you come and you sit in and it leans back and you go, ah. And you just sit there and what? Just relax. Just rest. Re relax and rest in what Jesus did at the cross. What he did from the cross... To the throne he did for you and if we don't rest in that we don't reap the benefits 
When we, when we win, the, uh, excuse me, the, uh, we have to win the war of words before we win the war. You never, not, uh, let me say it this way, not your words, but the word of God in your mouth. That's it. You're not going to win the war by imagining, by just sitting back and thinking. It's by the words that come out of your mouth. And if you're not saying anything, you're going to take a beating. 1 Kings chapter 18. I, want to, I got to thinking about this and I thought, you know, there's places in the Bible that we have uh, examples of people... Using their words. Mm -hmm. And winning. First yeah. Kings 18. And let's start in verse. This is, this is uh, Elijah. And all of the prophets of Baal are up on top of Mount Carmel. And he says, okay guys, let's have a showdown. The God that answers by fire is the winner. So Baal started first. They built their altar, put the wood on it, and put, a, put an animal on it, and started calling for their God. And then they got frustrated because it wasn't anything happening. So they started cutting themselves, drawing blood. And uh, Elijah... It's hilarious. You, you got you got to read it. Read it in the Living Translation. It is so funny. Uh, maybe maybe your God is on the toilet. Maybe. I know. Oh, and then they it really worked them up. They started cutting themselves more, and and he, then he says, "Well, maybe he's gone on vacation. <laughs> he's not there. He's not listening." So finally, it's his turn. And he prays a simple prayer. He, he, he sets up the altar, puts the wood in order, puts, puts the sacrifice on it. He says, well, let's just really show off. Get some water. We're going to soak this whole thing to make it harder. So he, I think he had them soak it like three different times with barrels of water. He steps back and uh, prays a short prayer. I think it's 18 words. And lightning comes down and consumes everything. The rocks, the wood, the animal, everything. And it sucks up all the water and there's nothing but a hole. He says, all right, grab all of these prophets. We're going to kill them. Now, let's see what does he does. What does he do? Verse 41. Now, this is at the end of a three-year drought. Then Elijah said to Ahab, 
Go up, eat, drink, for there is a sound of abundance of rain. Don't you know that really that was really irritating to the king to have this guy say, "Go ahead and go have something to go have something to eat. Go get a snack, because it's about to rain." So Ahab went up went up to eat and drink, and Elijah went up on top of the, uh, Mount Carmel. Then he bowed down on the ground, put his face between his knees, and he started to pray. And said to his servant, Go up now, look toward the sea. So he went up and looked and said, There's nothing. And he did this seven times, and he told him, Go, go again seven times. On the seventh time he comes back, then it came to pass the seventh time that he said, there is a cloud as small as a, as a man's hand rising out of the sea. So he said, go up, say to, say to Ahab, prepare your chariot and go down before the rain stops, stops you, before you get bogged down in the mud. Now it happened, see, he, he took, his, took his authority, he used that dominion and began to call for rain. <coughs> now it happened, happened in the meantime that the sky became black. Notice, it's growing. Became black with clouds and wind, and there was heavy rain. So Ahab rode away and went to Jezreel. And the hand of the Lord came upon Elijah, and he girded up his loins and ran ahead of a chariot. He passed Ahab on the, in the, on the interstate. <laughs> Go over to 1 Samuel 17. First Samuel 17. Elijah began to declare, even before he started praying, he began to, to declare what was coming. Rain is coming. What I'm, what I'm getting at is this. We need to use our dominion in our prayer life. Yeah, not just when we pray, but this should be a place that you use it very often. Yeah. You know, you ought, to, you ought to start a list. Put, put three people on this list that need to be born again. Take dominion over that spirit that's blinding this person. Hello? Anybody home? Start, put a date out beside it when you started praying for them. This, 1 Samuel 17, this is uh, David and the giant. I want you to see, see how this little boy, teenager, how this teenager... Okay. 
You want to stop here? No. Well, I, I want to finish the whole thing. I don't want to. Give me a few extra minutes. First Samuel 8, uh, 17, and we're going to start in verse 8, I think. Okay, we're, at, we're on the battlefield. Israel's on one side, the Philistines are on the other side. Um, and here comes this big mouth giant. He, he, you, you, you read the verses before verse 8, and it talks about the, the, uh, the armor that this guy had. His, his, he was so big that his spear handle was as big around as a weaver's beam. So we're talking, I mean, this, this guy's hand was so big, it could wrap around that thing. And it, and it talks about how heavy the uh, the spearhead was. Mm -hmm. Man, if this guy ever hit you, you'd be in big trouble. Okay, now notice. He comes out and he stands before the army of Israel. Then he stood and cried out to the armies of Israel. Pay attention to what he says. And he said to them, Why have you come out to line up for battle? Am I not a Philistine? And you, the servants of Saul, choose a man for yourselves and let him come, come down to me. If he's able to fight, with, fight me and kill me, then we will be your servants. But if I prevail against him and kill him, then you shall be servants, uh, be our servants and serve us. And the Philistine said, I defy the armies of Israel this day. This is, a, this is a major insult to Jehovah. Give me a man that we may fight together. Notice, when Saul and all Israel heard these words of the Philistines, they were dismayed and greatly afraid at words. Just his words. I mean, he was a very intimidating figure of a man. But his words, verse 16, And the Philistines, Philistine drew, uh, drew near and presented himself Forty days, okay, forty days, morning and evening, Israel gets to watch this, this comedy act and hear what he has to say. Eighty times they've heard this. Eighty times they've heard this, morning and evening, and they go back to their tent thinking on what this guy has said. Those words, I'm sure, gave them a fitful night's sleep. Eighty times they've heard this before David shows up. Verse 20. I'm skipping a lot of things, but you can go home and read it. So David arose early in the morning and left, left the sheep. Now, the, the taking care of the sheep was the most, uh, it was the worst job 
in the family. And usually it was done by either the youngest boy or a girl. So David's out there taking care of these sheep. He left the sheep with the keeper and took the things that his father uh, gave him to take to the, uh, to the army for the boys and went, went as Jesse had commanded him. And he came to the camp as the, as the army went out to the fight, which is a joke. There's no fight. Went out to the fight and shouting for the battle. Okay? For Israel and the Philistines had drawn up in battle array. They're ready to fight army against army. And David left his supplies in the hands of the supply keeper, ran to the army, and came to greet his brothers. Now, I, I was saying, you have to win the war of words before you can win the army, win the battle. Okay? And sometimes the words that you have to deal with can be by friends or by relatives. They are just as deadly as if the devil were standing right there talking to you. You've got to win that fight just as much as when the devil's in your face. You understand? Because if you don't, they, those words will haunt you. They will hang around. Then as he talked with them, his brothers, there was the champion, the Philistine of Gath, Goliath by name, coming up from the army of the Philistines. And he spoke according to the same words. He doesn't have, doesn't have a new act. He just keeps repeating the whole, same thing. So David heard them. Now this is the first time they hit David's ears. And all the men of Israel, when they saw the man, fled. Now think about this. They come out, they line up in battle, battle array in front of him. And when this giant comes out and starts, starts this comedy act, it says these men, when they heard it, they fled. Now think about this. You've got these men in an array, and when the giant comes out and says his thing, and they all run back a little bit, what does that tell you? What does that tell the enemy? That helps them. Okay, where did we stop? Verse 20, 24. And all the men of Israel, when they saw the man, fled from him and were dreadfully afraid. They've heard this thing 81 times. And now it, we have gone from afraid to dreadfully. So the men of Israel said... Have you seen this man who, who has come up? Surely he who, who has come up to defy Israel. This is an assault, an insult against the covenant of Israel. And it shall be that the man who kills him, the king will enrich with great riches, will give him his daughter, which could be good or bad, they may be trying to get rid of her. I don't know. <laughs> Will give him his daughter and give his father, father's house exemption 
from taxes in Israel. And I'm sure dad is pulling for his son. Yay, son, kill him, kill him. Verse 26, then David spoke. Now notice, David has heard this. David spoke to the men who stood by him saying, what shall be done for the man who kills this Philistine and takes away the reproach from Israel? We have a covenant with the living God and this, this heathen has come out to reproach us. For who is this uncircumcised? When you see uncircumcised, the Jews were circumcised. People that did not have a covenant with God were uncircumcised. For who is this uncircumcised Philistine that he should defy the armies of the living God? And the people answered him in this manner saying, So shall it be done for the man who kills him. Now here, watch this. Big brother. David's the baby. Eliab is the oldest. Now Eliab, his oldest brother, heard when he spoke to the men, and Eliab's anger was aroused against David. And he said, Why did you come down here? And with whom have you left those few sheep in the wilderness? He's insulting him. I know your pride your insolence of your heart, for you have come down to see the battle. And David says, are you kidding? What battle? You guys aren't doing anything. <laughs> That's the Ames translation. Let me give you, the, give you this. And David said, what have I done now? Is there not a cause? See, he's got to deal with these words. And he comes back. Is there not a cause? Then he turned around and he asked somebody else the same question. What's, what's going to happen? Then the words get, get back to Saul. Verse 32. Then David said to Saul, now we've moved, we've moved from relatives. Now we're going to go stand before the king. And if the king's words don't match up with God's word, you're going to have to deal with them. Let no man's heart fail because of, because of him. Your servant will go and fight with the, this Philistine. And Saul said to David, You're not able to go against this Philistine to fight with him, for you're just a youth, and he's a man of war from his youth. And David said to Saul, He didn't just stop there and turn around and walk off. David said to Saul, Your servant used, used to keep his father's sheep. And when the lion and the bear came and took, took a lamb out of the flock, I went out after it. Now think about this. Most scholars say David was probably 17 here. Somewhere in that area. I went out after it and struck it and delivered the lamb from its mouth. And when it rose against me, I caught it by the beard and struck it and killed it. What I want, when I was studying this, I thought, I need, to, I need to share this. First of all, he's having to deal with the words. But notice here, David, is, David didn't, just, he didn't just show up and say, I'm here, I'm going to kill him. He's already been practicing his dominion. 
He has already been doing this. Right. He's been working at this thing for a while. Right. Yeah. He, a lion came out. He killed the lion. Yes. Mm -hmm. A bear come out and he killed the bear. Yeah. He's got practice. Yes. He knows the covenant works. Right. Yes. Yeah. So, you know, don't, don't figure that you're going to start at the top of the ladder killing giants. I don't know if Israel had coyotes or something smaller than a lion. You know, some predator that would come and kill a sheep. David was a faithful keeper of the sheep. These were his fathers. Virtually, this was his inheritance. And so he's taking care of it. But if there was something else that would come out, I'm sure he killed that too. But this is, a, this is in his eyes... This was a more significant kill. Yeah. A lion and a bear. And I can't wait to get to heaven. I'm going to ask him, did, tell me, did you skin that lion and the bear and take the fur home and put it in your room? I'll bet you he did. Because he kept bringing that same thing up over and over. He killed the giant. He cut his head off and took his armor back to his house put it in his room, and he's walking around with this bloody b basketball. He went from the battlefield back to Saul's tent with his bloody thing. That's a trophy. This is my trophy. This is what God did for me. I wouldn't be at all surprised if that was in the corner of his room. <laughs> Oh, dear Lord. But notice, he had been practicing. He had seen it work. He had a covenant with his God. Just like you have. Only you've got a better one. Your servant has killed both the lion and the bear and this uncircumcised Philistine, this man that's outside of my covenant with God will be like one of them, seeing, seeing he has defied the armies of the living God. Moreover, David said, the Lord who delivered me from the paw of the lion and from the paw of the bear, he will deliver it. Notice, he keeps using the word. He's telling what he's going to do, what God's going to do. He will deliver me from the hand of this Philistine. And Saul said, go and the Lord be with you. Yeah. Now, let's skip the, the, the Lord. Uh, David or uh, Saul tries to put his armor on David. And David said, are you kidding? I've, I haven't tried this stuff, but I can't use this. I've never practiced with it. <coughs> he takes off. He takes off the armor and leaves it. He knows what, bat, what tools that he's accustomed to. Then he took his staff. Oh, that's a lethal one right there. Took his staff in his hand, and he chose for himself five stones from the brook and put them in his shepherd's bag in the pouch which he had, and his sling was in his hand. So he's got a staff in one hand, 
He's got a sling in the other. And he drew near to the Philistine. He's, he's dealt with the words of the king. He's dealt with the words of a relative. Now we're going to have to, we're moving up as we go. Now watch. Just because this guy's big doesn't mean I have to respect him and just be quiet and let him talk. Then the Philistine came and began drawing near to David, and the men, men, man who bore his shield went before him. So there was a smaller guy that carried this guy's shield out in front. So there's two people on the battlefield. And when the Philistine looked about and saw David, he disdained him, for he was only a youth, ruddy and good-looking. So it apparently David was a redhead. So the Philistine said to David, Am I a dog that you come to me with, with a stick? And the Philistine cursed David by his gods. And the Philistine said to David, Come to me and I will give your flesh to the birds of the air and the beast of the field. Now it's David's turn. Then David said to the Philistine, You come to me with, with the sword. See, what I'm, what I'm showing you here is this is your fight with the devil. He comes to you with words. Don't just, you know, you know poop on it and say, Nah. It doesn't, do, doesn't mean anything. It does. Right. It means a lot. Right. And he, you come to me with your sword, with a sword, with a spear, and with a javelin. But I come to you in the name of the Lord of hosts, right. the God of the, armies of the armies of Israel, whom you have defied. And I'll bet you anything, when the lion and the bear came out, he said, I come to you in the name of the Lord. Because he knew that's, that's the one that's behind me backing up this covenant. This day the Lord will deliver you into my hands and I will, I will strike you. It's a good thing he brought up that one. He's going to strike him with a stone. A headshot. One shot to the head. And I will strike you and take your head from you. He's, he's setting up the battlefield with what's going to happen. And this day I will give your carcass to the, uh, give your carcass, I will give the carcasses of the camp of the Philistines to the birds of the air. Now we've gone from one man, he's going to take on the Philistines and the wild beast of the earth, that all the earth may know that there is a God in Israel. Then all the assembly shall know. All these cowards behind me that have been backing up at your words, they'll know. All the assembly shall know that the Lord does not save with sword or spear for the battle is the Lord's, and he will give you into our hands. Amen. So it was when the Philistine arose and came and drew near to, to meet David that David hurried. He didn't dilly-dally around. He was going get, to get this thing on. 
hurried and ran toward the army to meet the, meet the Philistine. Then David put his hand in the bag and took, took out the stone and slung it and struck the Philistine in his forehead so that the stone sank. Now notice, the stone sank into his forehead. He had to hit him pretty hard for it to sink in, that, sink in like that. And he fell on his face to the earth. So David prevailed over the Philistine with a sling and a stone and, he, and struck the Philistine and killed him. But there was no sword in, his, in the hand of David. Therefore David ran and stood over the Philistine, took his sword, drew it out, and gave him a real short haircut. Killed him, cut off his head with it. And when the Philistines saw that their champion was dead, they fled. And all the men of Israel and Judah arose, shouted, and pursued the Philistines as far as the entrance. And, you know, they killed a bunch of them. And David took the head of the Philistine and brought it, brought it to Jerusalem. But he put his armor in his tent. I want you to notice here, um, David had confidence in fighting because he had, he had spent time on, in the word on the, of the covenant that God had made. Look, look at the words, the words of faith. Look what the words of faith of David did to the army of Israel. The words to the giant or the words of the giant had held them in bondage for 40 years. 40 days, excuse me. They were, they were afraid of this guy. And here comes a kid, a teenager. David came and his words of faith not only set, set the armies of Israel free with his words but caused terror to come to the Philistines when they saw their champion killed and they turned and ran. Think about that. Think of what his words had done. He's down in a valley and they're up and they're, they're hearing the conversation between the giant and David. And the words of David are having an effect on the, on the nation, on the, on the army. Amen. Never run at a giant with your mouth closed. Amen. Did you hear me? Yes, Never run at your giant with your mouth closed. Yes, Put the word of God in your mouth. Yes, you say, well, I can't see, any, see anybody. Well, he's talking to you. So obviously he's there. You need to... This, this is, a, this is a, a weapon that will hit him wherever he goes. Second Corinthians chapter 4, verse 13. We having the same spirit of faith, according as it is written, I believed and therefore have I spoke. We also believe and therefore... Speak. speak. Yes. If you don't speak, 
your silence will cause you to lose by default. Don't be quiet. But I feel so stupid saying something and there's nobody there. Trust me. He's there. He's been talking to you. Now it's your turn. Speak up. Speak up. You say, well, what he's saying is, is just so it doesn't matter. You call it, you say it's non, it, it doesn't matter. Let me address the men. You know, when the enemy comes to you and, and uh, says something to you about another woman, you need to speak the word. The word says, he that finds a wife finds a good thing. It doesn't say he who finds a mistress finds a good thing or whosoever finds another woman finds a good thing. No, 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 no. That's trash. Did you hear me? That's trash. He that finds a wife. I have a, I have a, a uh, I'm branded. I'm branded. My wife has branded me. She is mine. Amen. And you are mine. I have found a good thing. Anything other than this is trash. And it'll cause you problems. You need to speak the word to that spirit and say, no, no. He that finds a wife. I've already got a wife. I don't need any trash. I don't care how good looking they are, how sexy they are. They're trash. I've got a good thing. You've got to, you've got to fight that because if you just let it go, You'll, you'll have weeds in your garden that you'll have trouble getting rid of if you don't, if you don't hit it the first time around. Okay, man, you're, you're, you're messing with me now. Yeah, that's true. It works both ways. Let's all stand. I can't believe you said that, Pastor. In public, you said that? Yes. yes. As a pastor, I'm supposed to take care of you. I'm supposed to feed you something that will help you. And that will help you. Ladies, Take that whole thing, turn it around. It applies that way too. We're not back in the 1950s. We're finding women doing all kinds of stuff, running off on their husbands. You might find out that you jump from the frying pan into the fire. Anyway, Father, we bless you. We give glory to you, Father, for the examples you've given us in your word of how to overcome, how to...